Hello there and welcome to the Storymakers Institute. Conversations, analysis and dispatches from the front lines of storymaking. A special hello to everyone from our Substack community. If you're keen to join a community of storymaking and story-loving folk obsessed with stories and their impact, all you need to do is fill in your email address at our website, thestorymakersinstitute.substack.com and we're keen to hear your thoughts about the show too. Leave us a star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tom Ballard is an award-winning stand-up comedian, actor, writer, broadcaster, person, and now author who describes himself as always trying his best. He's one of Australia's hottest comic talents. He's performed and won acclaim all around the world and he's very pleased to meet you. Tom's new book is I Millennial, which goes through the power of jokes, history, interviews and sass unpicking how his generation got here and why we should probably have a revolution. And in this episode of the Storymakers Institute, he talks about the trials and tribulations of being what he describes as a PC wokey comedian. This is the Storymakers Institute with Joel Carnegie. Hello. Hello. Hello, Joel. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. What was the moment when you thought, yeah, I can do this funny business? Oh boy, the moment. I mean, I just, I was just desperate for attention. It was all about attention first. Attention, attention, attention. The moment, the moment where I was like, oh my God, you can do, you can get up on a stage and you can do something and make people laugh was when I was eight years old in an amateur production of Rock and Roll Santa, which is one of those primary school musicals. What did you play? I was playing the role of Blitzen, who was so dumb, he couldn't even remember his own name. So whenever anyone said Blitzen on stage, I'd be like, Blitzen, who's that? And people would laugh. And there was one scene in which I was hidden in a pram, there was a baby pr- baby's pram on the stage, and I was secretly hidden in there, hidden from the audience. There was a scene playing out, and then at one point during the scene, someone said, Blitzen, I popped up out of the pram and said, Blitzen, who's that? And at least in my memory, it was like, it, like the roof was blown off and the entire audience <laughs> rose to their feet. <laughs> and hailed me as a hero. I just remember that rush, that wave of laughter in that moment for whatever reason. That's that's in my head. And even if it was only like two parents clapping in the back of the hall, like that was doesn't matter. Doesn't it's matter. become part of the legend and the origin story. <laughs> and, and and I was like, oh my god, that was the best feeling in the world. And then I think I was just like, oh, I just want to be an actor because I was doing acting. And then eventually I was like, oh, there's a thing you can do where you just just tell jokes and just get the laughs and yeah, you can yeah. say whatever you want. So yeah, but that that moment still as almost certainly inaccurate as it is, looms large in my brain. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of kind of life as a comedian, it does sound kind of glamorous on the outside, but um, on the inside, is it? Ooh, glamorous. It's probably it's probably one of the performing arts that has the most discrepancy between the heights that one can reach and the brutal reality of, of a week-to-week thing because, you know, when you're starting out, certainly you're doing absolutely every gig that you possibly can, and you're you're at a in the pokies room on a Sunday afternoon performing for gambling addicts and dying on your ass, and then you know next thing you know you're at the Palais Theatre in front of three thousand people or hanging out on TV. So yeah, that's that's probably true of all showbiz, but comedians particularly because it's such a trade. It's like something you just have to do again and again, and you sort of work five nights a week um, doing gigs. Yes, there are moments. If you ever get too full of yourself or too big a head, there's a gig around the corner that's ready to bring you pretty low. Yeah. What would you describe as being one of those one of those moments for you where you've kind of ridden that high and all of a sudden you're like, 
Oh dear, I'm <laughs> I'm back at the supermarket here. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's yeah, it's just like you if you've got a big gig coming up in a big theater, you're probably doing as many gigs as possible. Um, and in front of anyone who will listen to you and you're trying to work out your material. So you'll do literally any gig. I think one year I did the gala, uh, the Oxfam gala, which is like in the Palais theater, which is a, yeah, a big, a big to do. And then, um, maybe the following night or a couple of nights later, I was in a pizza joint. Uh, in an open mic thing, one of those rooms where they haven't announced the comedy, people are just eating and then you're doing comedy in the, in the background, <laughs> just annoying people with your jokes. So that was always a bit like, oh, yeah, this is this is a weird job. Um, or coming back from overseas, you know, like I was overseas at Just for Laughs uh, Festival, I was roasting Jimmy Carr and I briefly met uh, like Dave Chappelle and saw Kevin Hart on stage. Whoa. And then you come back and everyone's like, we don't care about that. <laughs> Best gigs ever. Yeah. Are the ones, the ones that remind you how good it can be. And sometimes it's like a random night, random Monday. And for some reason, everything just clicks. Particularly if you're not, if it's not a particularly high stakes gig or whatever, if you spend so much time obsessing about, you know, yeah, who's going to be there or this needs to be good to get a good review or whatever. If you just have a gig in which you remind yourself it's a, actually about having fun and it's actually about fucking around and it's actually being living, living in the moment and being with a group of strangers and somehow finding a way to make everybody laugh in a very inclusive way. Yeah, they're, they're, always, they're always the best gigs. I think, yeah, I'm sure the big TV things are never really the most fun gigs that you ever, ever have in the world. Yeah, that's for well, sure. It's certainly the more stressful, let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like the, talking about sort of process, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're going to just try and spend as many nights leading up to a big gig doing some, doing a small gig somewhere, somewhere else mm. in order to sort of get the material. But like what people I'm sure when they sort of see comedians up on stage are looking and going, oh, that looks really easy. Someone just kind of doing comedy off the cuff and it's all very like just <laughs> easy peasy and I could do that. But of course, like the reality of that is like, this is just, it's so far from the realities. And part of this show is kind of like kind of breaking down some of those um, perhaps sometimes unhelpful uh, ways in which people think about <laughs> the work we do and the value that people put on it as well too. Uh, because everyone goes, well, I could do that. That, you know, that's piss easy. But like kind of like, can you unpack some of like what you do in order to lead up to a big gig? Uh, well, first of all, if people are looking at you going, oh, that looks easy, I can do it, that's probably a compliment. You probably don't want people looking at you going, wow, that looks really hard. <laughs> that guy's having a really tough time. I would never do that. Um, <laughs> and obviously, yes, the illusion is that you want to come across like you're just saying stuff that you're thinking of in the moment. You're just a guy who's just saying some stuff and not someone who said exactly those same words 40 times beforehand <laughs> to figure out what you should and shouldn't say. Um, but the process of like putting together an hour show for a comedy festival, that's, you know, I'm in the middle of that now. I have an hour show which will start at the Perth Fringe Festival in February and it's very generically titled and I couldn't say that I have like a, a I don't have a theme or anything in particular I want to say. So I'm just trying to take every gig I can, particularly new material gigs, and just trying to throw everything at a wall and trying to pull out if there's anything of note in my head uh, that I want to talk about and kind of trying to just produce. It's just in this big producing phase in which you just try and just blurt out as much as you can. You try and be judgment free and then, and then put that on stage and the stuff that 
you enjoy doing and that gets a good response is what survives. And then, yeah, you keep going again and again. And, you know, it, it starts so wide and just like any idea is good and any vague routine, you're like, oh, there's something in that vague routine, that idea, that's good, I can keep that. And then it gets down to extremely specific, like literal word choice and mm-hmm. gaps and stuff like that. So it kind of, yeah, for me anyway, you start really big and then narrow down um, progressively over gig after gig after gig. Yeah, even to the gap size. Like how long you're waiting for that pause or how, and then all performance. So like the words might say the same, but you know, I should say that separately or I should wait longer on that. Yeah. If you do it long enough, you do the same stuff again and again and again, you do sort of zero in on exactly how long you should wait before you say, because <laughs> um, the timing is everything. The timing is everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just one millisecond off and the whole thing just tanks. You look ridiculous. Yeah. Do you have someone like, always that sort of trundles along with you in order to kind of give you that feedback or do you, are you trying to sort of self feedback yourself? I, I feedback, I record my sets and listen back and I had worked with directors before and I really love it. I wish I sort of had a bit more, yes, a bit more of a one person that I work with every year. I think that would be kind of cool, but at the moment it's a bit more ad hoc mm. and I do these little trial shows, these free trial shows and I ask some friends to come along to that mm. and then afterwards we, I might buy them dinner and we'll go over and, Ah, nice. See what they think. Yeah. Applications now open. Oh, yeah. Do you want to come? Yeah. <laughs> you want to tell me what the hell I'm doing? <laughs> it's sort of, I don't know. It's I can watch someone else's act and I can, from my point of view, anyway, I can think of like three things that they that I think could make that joke better or say like, oh, I think that that should go after that bit or they could do a callback here. For some reason, I can watch other people's acts and do that quite easily. But when you do your own, it's just more like, you know, you have to do the work. So I think you're much much less of willing to have to change stuff. But, yeah, having an outside eye can be extremely helpful. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can imagine just to sort of have someone there just to kind of go, you know what, that was that was terrible. Oh, that was great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the feedback is helpful. Yeah, you're doing bits, you're like, why isn't that funny? Like, I'm just sure that that's funny. And then someone will say, oh, you already used that word or... Or, or often we have no idea what you're saying. You've you've skipped a step, and so we've, we haven't come with you to get to the punchline. So just explain yeah, yeah. what the hell you're doing there. Or they'll say that's just not funny, and you should absolutely drop that bit and try to <laughs> write something else. Your original ideas, though, like do do they come from a particular place? Like, are you someone who's like, I need to swim in order to get ideas, or like, where where do things pop into your mind from? Because it's just kind of every day. Because that might be annoying. Yeah, I have a like you know notes app, so anything and everything goes down in there. And I'm very, I'm not very good at observing stuff, to be honest. Like I'm not an observational comedian, and very rarely am I taking something from my life necessarily on a day to day basis or a hilarious story and putting it in there. I don't, I don't know what the, I think. I'm just like quite a relatively normal person who's not. A total idiot and so I don't end up these days anyway don't seem to end up in hilarious scrapes and a lot more of my material is more me just thinking about the state of the world or something big that's going on in society that I'd like to talk about that's that seems to be a lot more where my brain tends to go and and lately it's been more like oh I would love to write a material uh, a routine about housing in Australia like it's literally starting at that but not not like oh here's a funny thing and then pulling back but like if I actually set myself the challenge to sit down and go okay housing is something that makes me angry and that's often a good starting point you recognize something that's wrong with the world or something that pisses you off or whatever and you go like there has to be if I just think about this long enough and just start saying stuff about the housing crisis or things that I've observed or things that I know or 
you know, dive into my hatred of landlords or whatever. Like I know that that will generate something that yeah. I'll be able to work with. Yeah. And even in subjects that you just like housing, I mean, what the hell, like how can housing be funny? But as you said, like if you just kind of dive into your own feelings of the, <laughs> of the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. And it's just, it's, there's something wrong. Yeah. It's all about being something being wrong with the world. That's, that's the basis of every single comedy routine. Something is wrong. Something's not right. Generally speaking, some people can make comedy out of things being great, but um, generally it's like there's something off. Something isn't quite right. And we all know that housing in this country is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, it's a very hacky premise. But if you were like, if an alien landed today and you had to explain to them the Australian housing market, it's like, oh, there are homeless people. Is that because you don't have enough houses? No, we have enough houses. That's fine. Okay. And some people can't afford one house and these other people have six houses. You know, just trying to pursue the logic between how stupid our society is. Yeah, I'm sure that there's... I haven't written that routine yet, by the way. <laughs> no, we're workshopping this now. It's good. This is good. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> <Thank> workshop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I said, applications now open. Do you have any particular no-go zones? No, not as not as a general rule. No, I think I think everyone, even the most politically correct comedian in the world, and I and I would say my, you know, a lot of the time I am a PC wokey comedian. Not all the time, but a lot of the time I am. Uh, or at least I care, and I wouldn't use certain words on stage unless I can absolutely justify them in a very interesting and good way. Um, but, yes, generally, you know, I do have the general position. You, you can joke about anything. It all depends on what you're saying, how you're joking about it, and whether, you know, the darkness of what you're talking about is equivalent to the funniness. I am really trying to write something about aged care in Australia, in Australia. And that part of that is a challenge. I'm like, if I can get people laughing about that particular topic, particularly after everything we've learned about the aged care system in this country over the past couple of years, if I can pull that off, that will be impressive, I think. So so for me, that, that the motivation there is just the, that challenge. Now it may not it may not pay off at all. And already I'm getting resistance <laughs> on stage to those kind of jokes. But um yes, sometimes Sometimes I suppose not to be a shock comedian, but sometimes be like, oh, that's a very unpalatable topic that makes people feel uncomfortable. If there's any way to turn that into some kind of comedy, I think that would be a cool little trick. To it's kind of one of the nice things about comedy um, is you can kind of sneakily sneak in things that, you know, people are like, I am just here to laugh, right? And then they're just like smack. I saw Louis C.K. last week, and which may get me cancelled or whatever. And I was just listening to more of his stuff and it's just like, you know, his horrible personal actions aside, he's just an extremely good comedian. And he, the darkness, he, the fact that he can make us laugh so hard at such horrible bleakness in in the world, there, I think there is something very, something there's something very uh, satisfying about that. I, I'm very skeptical of like, you know, comedy can heal the world, and it's the way that we process serious trauma. But it just in terms of like dealing with being alive and how bleak being alive can be hearing really, really good jokes about that. Um, that is somehow You've just helpful. shattered yeah. this, the entire illusion of this podcast, you know, like we're, uh, this is, this is a conversation. I was just really hoping you'd say that comedy will just, you know, save the world from, <laughs> from destruction. But, <laughs> but clearly we've got a little bit more. Any day now. Yeah. yeah. Once I write the, that routine, that housing routine, I'm sure it'll yeah, fix that. And the aged care one too, just do that one after that. And then, and then we would have solved. Yeah what is required to be solved. <laughs> hey, Tom, it's been really nice to chat to you today. Yeah, thanks, man. It's been a joy. 
The Storymakers Institute is created on Wadawurrung country. Keep the show sustainable and strong by becoming a subscriber on Substack today. With podcast episodes, written analysis and dispatches on storymaking straight to your inbox and Substack app feed. Visit thestorymakersinstitute.substack.com for all the details with annual, monthly, zero-cost and gift subscriptions available. And if you're a free subscriber, make a zero-cost contribution to the show by leaving us a star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and spread the word about the show. We'd be most grateful. Thanks to Dom Evans on post-production. I'm Joel Carnegie. I'll catch you next time.